Hi, this is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on today's live episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about city adventures. Perhaps the lost mode of adventuring. Is that a place you should have D&D adventures? How should you run it? What resources are there to help you with that? All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Excellent. Looking forward to it. <laughs> well, that's good, because that's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dan, have Before you we run start, we should say many we, you know, just just keep in mind. I, I guess we should say keep in mind that um, uh, we didn't have an episode of the Big Bad on last Tuesday, but we will be returning uh, this week uh, with a with episode number four of the Big Bad, including luminaries such as Stefan Picorni from Dwarven Forge and Luke Gygax and Alyssa Teague and a whole bunch of other people on the Horde Takers team. So do tune in Tuesday at eight Eastern for that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a great episode. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. So yeah. please do come yeah. join us. <clears throat> Definitely. Excellent. Excellent. So City Adventures, Dan, have you have you run many? Not a lot. Have you, Paul? More in Warhammer than in D D. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's more of a more yeah, it's of a funny trope in that setting. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, um when I was researching this it's almost interesting that at least in, in original D&D, it's almost totally missing. Like even, you know, original D&D, first edition, there actually isn't any commentary whatsoever on actually running adventures in the city environment. Interesting. Um, you, you know, it's, it's mentioned a couple times, but more or less, it, it seems like, it, you know, the city is supposed to be your safe off-screen home base where you buy stuff and you level up. Um, and there actually isn't any commentary whatsoever on actually running an adventure or how to do that. It's just missing. I mean, that's fascinating um, because generally anytime I've run games where there is a home base that is safe, um, right. it's usually more inspired by a small village or hamlet or possibly like a, a more medieval kind of like village attached to a castle or something like that. Something like like you might see right. in Keep on the Borderlands. Um, right. it's not, it wouldn't be my go-to to have like a large metropolis, um, you know, or, or the, the medieval equivalent of a larger city. Um, right. when we say city adventures, right. my brain immediately jumps to the inspiration of like, uh, Fritz Leiber and, uh, you know, Fafford and the Grey Mouser. That seems to me the natural setting for those characters, you know, and I'm thinking of like, like some of their, some of the stories that feature like, uh. Uh, I can't remember the title of it, but the one with uh, Isaac, Isaac of the Jug, or um, Isaac. Is it Isaac of the Jug? It, yeah, it's it's Isaac of the Isaac. Jug. What is that called? Act. What is yeah, the name yeah, of that story? Yeah, I don't story? remember the title of that story. Over my library there. Right, um, but, but they had you know they're <laughs> not every Fafford and the Grey Mouser story is set in the city, but I think some of the best True. ones are. And, True. And um, you get you get pretty. You, <clears throat> it, it seems pretty clear that I'm, I'm it, it's interesting you bring that up because it seems pretty clear that the the original D&D &D conception of a city totally just comes out of 
uh, Libra like that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, so there's like an original D and D city only. The word city only gets referenced three times. One is there's a parenthetical comment that players maybe could build a house in the city if they get a plot of land. It's in parentheses. Okay. So okay. a little bit of an afterthought. Two, um, if the player characters uh, abuse the locals, it says you might consider employing the city watch or the thieves guild to to come out and possibly punish them. Mm-hmm. And then the third place is in the wilderness encounters. There's columns for plains, woods, mountains, desert, something else, something else, swamp, river. And then there's one column for city mm-hmm. that only has two entries. And those two entries are men and undead. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the only thing you can possibly encounter in a city, and and so it's a little bit unclear. Are you supposed to roll there like every single day? Because remember, if you if you roll an encounter like that in the wilderness, you could possibly run into like three hundred bandits. So <laughs> it seems like an afterthought. It doesn't seem like it would make a lot of yeah. sense. And why why undead? Why why men and undead? But then you start thinking about Lieber's Lankmar yeah. that famously has the the temple of the gods uh, that has you know, is reputed to have undead mummy-like figures that come out and either defend the city or trash it, depending on their whims, on their chaotic whims. Right. So it seems pretty clear a nod to um, Lankmar. And then the funny thing is that Lieber himself based Lankmar on New York City, to my understanding. Interesting. Um, so Gygax has this sense of the, and, and in first edition, it also says you're probably going to be in a big city, of, of using a big city for that. Whereas Dave Arneson was more in the small village um, trope of, of Blackmore or something like that, right. not being a very large a large place. So once again, there's yeah. your classic split between the two founders of the game. Yeah, interesting. Um, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and then certainly you see it much more in the modules, right? Of course, there's famously a whole Lankmar module for D&D. But even earlier right. than that, we, you know, before the show started, we were discussing um, B6, the... Um, uh, whose title I've already forgotten. Uh, Veiled Society. Veiled Society, thank you. Right. I always want it to be the other B series, which is like uh, the, the Lost City, because I'm like, it's got the word city in it. It must be that one. But no, that's, gotcha. Gotcha. that's gotcha. not the gotcha. one I'm trying to think right. of. It's, it's, yeah, gotcha, gotcha, it's gotcha. Society. In which you're mostly not actually adventuring in a lost city. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Veiled Society, right, famously came with uh, papercraft buildings for you to build mm-hmm. and, and set yeah. up you know, terrain for, for moving through city blocks. Uh, which which you and I were then uh, astonished that we could not find any photographs of. Like, scouring the web, and no one assembled those those little paper models and took a picture of it, apparently. And once again, my joke, as it came up with, uh, with Shannon Applecline last week, is uh, apparently before 2005, not a single soul ever thought to either audio tape, videotape, or photograph a D&D game actually in progress, so... I was just so some odd. kind of weird, weird <laughs> memory hole. None of that stuff exists. That's funny. Um, <laughs> um, so I know that um, I know that the um, uh, the guys over on Fear of a Black Dragon have reviewed B six, and okay. they kind of uh, poke a little fun at the buildings and talk about how like yeah they were cute but nobody used them was their general analysis. Okay. Uh, does that does that jive with your memory of that module, Dan? 
Well, okay, I didn't have it at the time I didn't run it. I will say that, as we've mentioned a couple times, like there was a one or two year period where TSR was really into the paper cutout stand-up things for uh, D&D and Battle System and Marvel Superheroes um, had a, at least a couple of products in all those lines in the 1984 era where they did that. So I have big boxes of mar like i have a big shoe box currently of marvel superheroes stand-up figures hmm. um and i have uh, uh stand-up buildings from the battle system box set here and i actually have had that and used those at least a couple times b6 i didn't for cities i didn't specifically do that however like when we got into miniatures pretty heavily in the third edition era wizards released free you know printout stand-up um, uh, buildings, towers, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I did actually construct those when we got into like miniature play. So I had, it's funny because I actually just um, cleaned those out a couple months ago, actually. And I had a box here sitting mostly unused hmm. with big cutout towers, buildings, huts, temples, things like that. And I, they looked really nice. Yeah. I, I never used them in like I, I 20 years. Yeah. So yeah. off I, I went. I did the papercraft thing for a little bit. Uh, there was a yeah. company called Worldworks that I was really into, uh, yeah. which apparently doesn't exist anymore. Because it does seem like, I guess, papercraft was a bit of a fad that, that came and went in the yeah. in the 2000s at some point. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the problems, of course, is it doesn't store and last very long. Right? It looks gorgeous for you know a couple of months, right. and then it, then it starts to get right. ratty. Um, I mean, you were telling me you had a, you had a you had a gorgeous ship model that, oh, that, that didn't yeah, last, was, unfortunately. Yeah, it was called the Maiden. It was gorgeous. And then after I built it, I was like, I got to store this thing. And then eventually, it ended up in my basement. And then uh, and then one one uh, spring, we had massive rainfall, and the basement flooded, and that was the end of that ship. <laughs> That's so, too bad. Yeah, yeah. wasn't wasn't seaworthy. <laughs> no, it was not. It was not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I I feel like. Um, when we get into city adventures, and we're gonna, probably going to talk about this a bit here, um, I don't, I don't think I want nice-looking three D models of buildings. What do, you, what do you, what do you want, Dan, when you're running a city adventure? What kind of materials do you want on hand? You know, it's hard. You know, if you're talking city, city, right? It's, 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 it's there's enough. It's interesting because there's enough detail in a city that it's kind of hard to get your arms around. And it's, I think that a lot of uh, systems or supplements over the years have have struggled with this. And I think that's, you know, part of the reason why it's a little bit of a hole in classic D&D stuff is that there isn't a really super obvious way to make yourself happy. Um, you know, so at least we have, you know, we have encounter tables, right? Mm -hmm. And John Miller in the chat reminds us that the, the first edition DMG has a fairly famous uh, city encounter table with at least 40 or 40 or so possible entries difference between day and night, multiple subtables for yeah. watches and people you run into and prostitutes and things like that. Um, and it also and that, that section also has the very famous illustration of a miracle, the chaotic running rampant yep. through the through the yep. streets, of course, that everybody adores to death. Um, so I'll tell you that nowadays now, how, how else do you run that? Um, let me, let, me, know, okay, let, me, let me hold off on that. Yeah, let yeah, me put up William's comment here, which I yeah. wholeheartedly agree with, which yeah. is even city maps tend to be too much yeah. for me. I agree. Yeah. I don't want a detailed map even. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you want, yeah. do you want a detailed map? Let's look at a couple options. Yeah. Let's look at Great. a couple options, okay. if we will. So so there, is, there was a product, the, the one with the orange uh, text there, Paul, 
um, that was released uh, early in D&D. And it was called, you know, officially it's called Outdoor Geomorphs. So most everybody is familiar with the dungeon geomorphs mm-hmm. uh, for dungeons and caves and tunnels and things like that. That had three volumes originally that Gygax made. And so he also made, this is, this is a lesser known product, a product called Outdoor Geomorphs. Um, and supposedly, you know, it's, in, it's got his, it's got Gygax's name on it. And it says here, AD&D playing aid set one walled city. Now, there was no, never any other sets. There is no set two outdoor geomorphs. This is the only one that was made, actually. And as you can kind of see in the examples on the cover there, there are tiles of, and in this case, it's actually got the wall and some towers of kind of tightly fit buildings, mm-hmm. uh, kind of all stacked into city blocks. And just like with the dungeon geomorphs, you could cut these out, you could uh, rotate them, you could paste them. And you could indicate particular buildings or temples or inns or whatever to your satisfaction. So at least circa, what's the copyright date on that? 1977, um, that was Gygax's best stab at uh, uh, constructing a city like that. And as a, as a little side point, like maybe go on to the, set, the second tile of that, that same product there. Um, you know, so how do you fill it in? So here's a page, I guess this is page three, that's just a giant list of common medieval uh, jobs, common medieval you know, guilds or um, workers to identify buildings as possibly this particular type of workplace, I guess. In fact, that actually is sort of how I do it. And then at the bottom, there's an illustration of that no one's 100% sure who made it it's quite likely that Gygax actually made that illustration himself, and it might be the only illustration of his mm-hmm. you know, product. And then if you read the notes at the, at the back end of the product, basically that's the city of Greyhawk, actually. And so the examples that he has is, did he actually use this product for his Greyhawk? Not 100% sure about that, but the intention seems to be this is the overall layout, geography, topography, and look of his famous city of Greyhawk here. So well, some... Greyhawk scholars really dig into that particular product as what what it's supposed to look like. I like this picture a lot of all the parts of that yeah. we that we've talked right. about so far. This is the one piece right. I like. That picture is very evocative, and I could I, I agree. could see using something like that as a as an inspiration. Do I want the tiles? Do I want the lists of occupations? Nope, don't need that. But uh, I like that picture. Well, you know, it's really interesting because. Um, you know, later on, and it was at, you know, so uh, we had the published product World of Greyhawk, which did the whole continent that Greyhawk is set on. And all through that, Gary was promising someday you're going to have a City of Greyhawk product. You're going to mm-hmm. have a City of Greyhawk box product shortly on the way. I'm going to show that to you. It'll be great. And we were all waiting patiently for this wonderful product, which never came. So 79, 80, 81, 82. Ultimately, Gary leaves the company. And after he leaves, then they get Doug Niles to complete a City of Greyhawk product many years later. And maybe you can pull up that green image there, Paul. Uh, that one. There we go. Yeah. So there is the... Now, it's really interesting because in the, in the Doug Niles City of Greyhawk product, whatever that is, circa 1985 or 86, there's actually three different maps. Now, I pulled this middle one out. There's a first map, which is an artistic rendering in, you know, in 2.5D, like that illustration you were pointing out, which is dense and suggestive and artistic and really, really nice. 
And then you get this map, which I guess you're supposed to use for actual play purposes, which is more, you know, flat down, easy to see. The buildings are numbered, not like map number one. Yeah. And a lot of people crit critique this as not very super interesting um, and really not enough stuff. It doesn't <laughs> match the illustrations. It, it doesn't match um, Gary's description of Greyhawk and the novels that he'd written up to that point. And it seems really kind of like sparse and not what you think for like a, like a clustered clumped up city medieval city street. So a lot of people were kind of disappointed by that. And then there's also a third map of like the under sewers you can, you can, you can travel through. But I, just, I agree for some reason, like the illustrations are a lot yeah. more evocative and interesting than the actual maps. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I just want to point out, and we don't have to just put put a pin in this, and we'll discuss this later, but I'm watching the chat go through, and there's some discussion about chases in cities. I definitely want to talk about that. Let's return to chases in cities and whether or Great. not you want a detailed map for that. Um, okay, so well, let me let me share with you then, or do you have more examples you want to tear through here, Dan? Because I have some. Tell me what. Tell me what's on your mind yeah. about about, okay. about those examples. So my personal favorite city layout map in any role playing product is Bogenhofen. Uh, so if we look in Warhammer, uh, anybody who's played anything in Bogenhofen may recognize this. This one is from uh, Sigmar's Heirs, but is clearly actually the original map from Shadows Over Bogenhofen, which got carried forward. Um, this is kind of the ideal presentation for me of a city. What you have here is vague outlines of major streets and blocks and like where the docks are and where the river cuts through it and where the walls are. And then it's broken down into sort of neighborhoods. And you notice those letter codes, it's not written here. I think it's on another page, but there's letter codes about like the you know, area C is the is the temple district and area D is the merchant district or whatever it is. And, and so it sort of gives high level description of what that neighborhood is like. And then you can kind of know these neighborhoods border on each other, but it doesn't go down really deeply into the street by street, building by building details. And then it does pick out numerically here, specific important locations. Okay, where is the temple to Sigmar? I can find exactly where that is on the map with that number code at the top. Um, but just again, very just small details we're gonna pick out and say this is here and this is there, which this is, this is to me the ideal of, of the level of detail I want for running a city. Let me ask this: How do you um, how does that interact with the players? Do you do you show them that same map, or do you describe it over time? I've shown them this map, or a variation of this map, um, or sometimes it's just pure theater of the mind where I describe them. You, you approach on the river, you're on the docks. Uh, you want to go find a an inn. You go into this area. They say they start talking to NPCs. Where can I find blah? Oh, you want to go here, and I'm referencing the map. Oh, where do we find you know the temple? Oh, you want to go down to the temple district? It's you know, get onto the main road, go go west, uh, or rather go east, and uh, you know look for blah. And so it, it gives me enough grounding to kind of have those discussions without you know having to say we're precisely here and then i can make stuff up like oh if you're going from um the docks all the way to the slums in f then i know you're going to pass through x y and z to get there and i can know also maybe say well it's going to take an hour or two hours or however big my city is it's going to take you this time because you got that's really far in in this city and then maybe I might then filter in some encounters, right? Maybe uh, along the way, you're going to walk through the Gottenblots and what's going on there. And let me describe some interesting stuff happening. And maybe you get involved or maybe you don't. 
Great. Great. Yeah, so I like that a lot. Now, this this map, the nice thing about specifically Bogenhofen is that it has evolved so much over time. This is this is a map that the creators of Warhammer have come back to time and time again. So there are many adventures, not just one, but many adventures set in here. There are many details. Anybody who's played Shadows Over Bogenhofen or any of our Ten Dead Rats friends uh, will note that the area labeled G at the bottom is the is the Idle Ring. And that's, we know, where important nobles and merchant class folks live in these big mansions. And uh, we might know that a certain demon-worshipping merchant used to live in a certain building down there. Um, so there's just these nice little details like that that you can then work in. Um, and it, it just, I think, because it's built up over time, they're not all necessarily related to each other, and it just makes the whole place feel that much more alive to me. Super cool, super cool. Yeah. In in the chat, some oh. people are comparing Bogenhafen to a, a number of other products, um, such as uh, current uh, Goodman Games Lankmar release. And a couple minutes ago, John Miller um, pointed out the um, uh, the TSR product for Lankmar. I, I think was actually literally called the City System yeah. is what it was called, but it was actually really presenting Lankmar. And I got and that one I have to I have to apologize because that I actually never had my hands on, so I'm not entirely sure what that looked like. Maybe maybe one of our viewers can tell us whether the the City System product for Lankmar looked like this. Or had a totally different. Have you? Did you see that? I, ball? I, I have a copy of it stashed away somewhere, oh, do you? and I think oh, really? I briefly paged through it. I haven't really studied it closely because okay. I don't think it is this. I think that I, it, it gets okay. more detailed, and I was like, hmm, not for me. Let me let me okay. share Maybe. one more thing about Bogenhofen with you. Of yeah. course, here's the sewer system under Bogenhofen. Yeah, right. And it's and it's not super complex, but it's detailed enough. And come on, that's like your classic dungeon crawl in a city adventure is the sewers. Surely your players are going to end up in the sewers at some point. Yes, and like like I said, the the, the boxed city of Greyhawk product um, had a had a had a sewer level map as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think possibly I just misspoke. I'm, I think I'm being informed that I possibly just misspoke. That the city system was maybe water deep. Okay. So unfortunately, this is an area where my my expertise is not is not the very highest. Um, um, I like that a lot. I mean, so to be perfectly frank, this discussion is coming back around to our standard. Like, yeah, we basically agree with that. Yeah. Um, so the product. Uh, so for cities in uh, my games, the thing that I use now is a um, online generator by a person that goes by Watabu. I don't know whether that's a he or she or they. Um, And so here's an example of Watabu's automatic city generator product. And it more or or less looks like that Bogenhafen map, more or less. It's a nice overview. There are districts here. And actually, to the side, there's a sidebar that allows you to to select whether or not the districts are labeled. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you can see a couple of them right now uh, labeled Westward or this or that. And so it's, it's a really nice, it, very lightweight interface. There's only about 10 options at most. I really like these kind of automatic generators. I feel like I don't really want to spend a lot of time hand tuning stuff. So this works super, super well for me. When I need a new city, I go, and you can pick whether it's on the coast or on a river or not. Um, and it's exactly more or less that same kind of scale of district sized. And if I want to dig into a specific street or specific workplace, or a shop, or a thieves guild. Then I can say I can I can place it in one of these particular districts the same way. 
Um, and so I, that's, that's also the, the way that I like to do it myself now. Awesome. Awesome. So let me come back to yeah. the topic that I put a pin in earlier. Uh, classic encounter for a city is, of course, a chase. Yeah. Have you have you mm -hmm. dealt with chases in cities, Dan? And if so, I more or less have not. I have that. You know, it's interesting because that's actually one that I have not. And I don't know whether it's me. I'm holding it at arm's length because I'm not entirely sure how I would would run that. Is that something that commonly happens for you? I've I've done it. Um, I've done it in the past, and uh, probably more have done it in um, when running Savage Worlds and specifically yeah. running pulp games. That seems to come up a lot in okay. a in a pulp setting, right. Um, right? Right. And then usually there's vehicles involved, right? I'm on a motorcycle and I'm chasing the Nazis in their in their car, and you know, whatever. There's 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 people. There's there's usually multiple vehicles going on, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I will point out the Savage World system for handling chases is my personal favorite way to handle it, and it looks a little like this, um, or this is a handout that somebody made for a chase. Oh my setting. goodness! <clears throat> yeah. So basically what you do is it's completely abstracted. You just sort of have relative position to each other. So if you can imagine printing this sheet out and putting it on the table and chucking okay. miniatures into columns. And so we say, okay, here are people in column six and here are people in column four and two, etc. And then each turn as, as, uh, as actions are happening, you're describing the chase. Okay, you know, oh, they, they spun around in a corner and they come into a big marketplace and there's a bunch of chaos, you know. Uh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take my motorcycle up onto the, onto the, onto the sidewalks, and I'm gonna zip through the people. Great, uh, make this kind of roll, and if you succeed, maybe I'll bump you forward a column or back a column, right? And so it just sort of abstracts that into relative distance from each other, right? And you can see if if a group falls off one edge or the other of the of the track, then they then they've escaped or or fallen backwards or whatever, mm -hmm. or lost mm -hmm. their quarry. Um, Interesting. But it allows you to sort of round by round just start adding those details. And then on top of this, I'll do stuff like I'll have that nice district map, and I'll say, okay, well, we started here in the, in the, in the slums, and after three rounds of chase, I'm going to assume you made it to the plots. And so now I'm going to start or putting that detail into my description of how the chase is going. And I, I like this because it lets me improvise round to round what kind of stuff is whizzing by, right? The details of positioning and, and how people are evading each other and whatnot. But it still has some core skeleton of a mechanic for do I catch them? Do I escape? How does that work? Um, especially exciting when you have multiple parties, right? Of like, okay, well, I've you've caught up to them, Dan, because you're a you know fast-moving guy, but my slow dude in plate armor is lagging behind. What does that mean? Interesting. I will admit, I tend to be a little bit, I tend to shy a little bit away from abstract systems like that. I like, like, frankly, among the things that I like about the overview city map is that it's concrete, it's visceral. Like, I, I, I personally have a pretty strong spatial sense. So when um, players enter a new city, I more or less say, there's an afternoon where you walk around and get the lay of the land. Here's the map. And um, like, as opposed to one time, I certainly don't probably as, as a young person, I might be prone to have made the mistake of actually explore a city street by street like you're in a dungeon, which is a terrible idea. But when your one tool is the hammer of dungeon, mm -hmm. uh, dungeon crawling, then you're, you're I might be prone to make that mistake. So nowadays I do give them like a map to know the lay of the land. Yeah. Um, 
in advance. Now, here's the reason why. So there's a particular reason why I might be more gun shy about abstract chases than you are. But go ahead and say what you're going to say. Oh, I was just going to say, I might even layer those two things together. I like the idea of giving the players the map. I like the idea of showing them the map. I might even put a token on the map to say, this is where the chase is. Okay. Right? Not where individuals are, but here's where the chase is right now. And then three rounds down the road, I'm going to shift. Okay. Chase has shifted into this region. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Now, the reason why I tend to be a little bit shy about that might be because the first time I saw abstract city chase rules was from the module for basic D&D, module X10, uh, I think Red Arrow Black Shield, which on the one hand is one of my favorite, most mind-blowing modules of all because it's like a, a total international world war, basically, in about... 40 pages of text um, and throws the whole up to that point campaign world into complete total chaos. Um, and I had a, I had a blast playing through half of it. But one of the things they try to do there is you start off in a city that gets invaded. Mm-hmm. There's a city chase, which is the very first thing. And over the rest of the adventure, you could possibly wind up in any city or town in the entire campaign world and, and possibly have an invasion or a chase. So they have a system there where they try to encapsulate all of that possible chases in any city on one page. And maybe you can bring up the module X10 city chase chart map. Is that this thing? That's It's that thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. What is that? That's their master. That's their master plan for running a chase in any city. Yeah. And it's, a, a grid of 25 locations with some connections that have distances like 240 feet or 360 feet and no markers and no places and no points of interest. And I guess you're supposed to decide one of them is like the city gate in order to get out or something like that. And to me, that was like a real, that, that was, that, that one was kind of a misstep. That yeah. was, that clearly is not going to give me anything to hang my hat on to describe it. I guess there's a table of random encounters, but there's no, there's zero difference between being in one of those spaces versus being any other space. Right. Um, and I was like, now, I, you know, you're trying to get the product out, right? I don't know how long they had to write this. Two months? I don't know. This and looks... you're trying to, you're, tr- you're trying to encapsulate any possible action, any possible city in the campaign world. Yeah. And you have one page to do it on. Um, but I look at that and I'm like that. So to me, that's like, oh, abstract chases don't work in a city, but it's mostly because that's what's in my head is that particular page. I, um, this, this looks to me like the worst of both worlds. So on the one hand, it's much more complex than I expect. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. what is happening here? I'm not sure. And on the other hand, it's totally devoid of any character. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. um, yeah, this this looks to me like the worst. Um, the, the when I'm, you know, possibly the the Savage Worlds thing looks more complex than you expect, but really it is all it is is a linear chart of how far away are you from the next group. Mm-hmm. And I've used right. that even without the chart. I've used that in games. I've used that in D anD D where there's like a big mass combat going on, where not really like resolving the mass combat separately as its own thing. But it's, it's you know, maybe it's a big stretched out wilderness. We're on top of a hill and there's this big combat going down at the base of the hill. And then there's, there's, you know, enemy spellcasters even farther afield. I might just start to jot down names of specific people or groups and their distance to the next thing. All right, yeah. you're 500 yeah. feet from the front line of the fight. 
And then as players right. come up in their turn, they say, oh, I, I rushed towards the front line. Great, okay, so now let's say you move at 90, you're 410 feet from the front line now. And then, and then it's just like, that's all I want, is that kind of linear gradation of how far are you from the next important thing. That's legitimate. I mean, that's yeah. a legitimate technique and a legitimate mechanic that, that doesn't, that seems like that ought to work. <laughs> I like that. that it isn't and obviously really, immediately broken like yeah. this is. <laughs> I really like that for chase scenes, uh, whether it's in a city or not, but it's frankly, I think it's more interesting in a city because hopefully you do have at least some text or pictures or whatnot, some inspiration to draw on of what you mm -hmm. think the city looks like yeah. so that round by round you can be describing the changing because that's what that's what's fun. I think about a chase scene, right? Is right. is the constant right. changing scenery that, like, oh, now we're driving through Chinatown. Like, oh no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> when you do that, do you yeah. do you do you include like is it is it purely fiat descriptions or do you include like random encounters you might run into along the way? Um, it depends on. Let's see. So random encounters, I wouldn't do like mid chase. I think um, okay. I might do. Maybe I would. I guess I, I. I guess I would do. I would do the random encounter. I think more as an interpretation of a role. You know, roll to if they're rolling on some kind of skill or whatever to catch up, and they they fail. I might introduce something into the scene that explains why. Okay. 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 Great. 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 So, yeah. On the other hand, like the the more the bigger thing I would use random encounters for in cities is just travel. We are trying to get from point X right. to point Y, and right. you have to go through all of these districts to get there. Right. Let's see if something interesting happens to you along the way. <clears throat> right, right. Which yeah. is really not that, that right. different from, like, hex crawling, right? <clears throat> well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, one of the things that I, that I was looking at this morning was uh, Jason, Justin Alexander with his, uh, his really nice Alexandrian blog, and I think it was our friend Adam actually that clued me into this a couple of years ago. Had had actually had a twelve part series on uh, possible ideas for city adventures that he actually calls uh, urban crawls. So he's very much uh, using ideas from uh, hex crawl adventures. And I think the last uh, article in the series was actually putting an urban crawl inside your hex crawl. So there's 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 quite a you know a it's a little bit. Theoretical. I'm not entirely sure that he had, this came out of actual play experience, but um, in his case, a lot of what he was recommending was to have layers of information or dimensions to it. Of you're doing an explorate like this. The, the idea here is you're doing some kind of investigation or exploration, and you find out some stuff, and then you get a little bit more detail about what's happening, and you get a little bit more detail about what's happening. So I, I certainly don't have complete mental recollection of the entire series, but you might people might look at the Alexandrian blog for urban crawls is what he calls it, and it's very much using our sensibility for hex crawls to make uh, to make city adventures awesome. like that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, John Miller has a great question here for us: of Is there travel time listed between districts? Um, I'm trying to remember like the Bogenhof and specific stuff, and I think that the answer is no. But I agree, I want it. And not only that, mm -hmm. um, I want it in a uh, multi-layered way. Um, I want to know not only does it take an hour to get from you know the gotten plots to the docks, I want to know well what time of day is it? In the middle of the day, it takes two hours because you know it's a city and that's when everyone's moving around. And in the middle of the night, it takes one hour or whatever it is. <laughs> 
I think it was I think it was maybe William earlier who said like you you really want to scale on it. Uh, and I think he mentioned uh, the current Goodman Games uh, version of Lankmar that doesn't have a scale on it. I would be super disappointed if it didn't have a scale on it. Uh, the Watabu uh, generator that I use certainly has a scale on it. Um, and again, if, if I see a map that doesn't have a scale on it, I'm pretty pretty upset about that, frankly. Let's look at that again. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is I'm trying to see where exactly the lines between the districts are. Is it the, the, the heavier, darker lines? Is that Correct. Okay. I'm pretty yeah. sure, yes. Yeah. 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 It almost, I would be almost tempted with something like this to um, extrapolate it out into a, into like a graph, right? Where I would like draw boxes or, or shapes that just so mm -hmm. I can get all the adjacencies. Like it would look like right. a hex map, except that each space probably isn't a hex. It's a different number of sides, depending right. on need, right? Right. right? And then I would just sort of say each district is X big, right? So it takes, right. um, you know, this much this much time to move move from. from I mean, you can kind of, yeah, I mean, you can sort of see that's the, the, the module X10, you can sort of see that's the direction they were trying to stumble into. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's a better idea Again, maybe if you've done that for like one single city, right? Here's the layouts of the districts in our city, and you can name them and you can identify the boroughs and things like that. Then you actually have something. But again, trying to have a fully abstract, this you'll use this for any city in the world. Uh, and therefore, we had to leave it blank with no flavor. Yeah, that's um, too much. Only gets you halfway there at best. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I mean, now I super want this, especially like my, my brain keeps going to, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, historic or pulp uh, settings. Um, right. But, like, I would love a... Um, I would love a 1980s map of Berlin that not only tells me how long does it take to get from this area to the next, but, like, well, if you take the train, <laughs> you can get there this quickly. Or if you're walking, or if you're driving, it takes this much time. Maybe that's too much information. I don't know. Uh, there was a great supplement that I had c looked up for uh, Warhammer. So this comes up in Warhammer a lot because Warhammer's setting is this kind of medieval uh, setting where you have these big clusters of civilization that then are spread apart by large amounts of very dangerous wilderness. Right? That's the right. basic idea in, in Warhammer. Um, so I found something that somebody had made. It was just a giant table of the names of all the, like the major towns in um, in in the empire, and it and it just listed for any given town the travel time to the next adjacent towns by carriage, by river, or by horse. Um, and it's just just this wonderful index of how long does it take to get from A to B in these different travel modes. Nice. Is that in addition to an actual, like, you know, physical concrete map with scales and stuff? Um, so, so the Warhammer Empire is uh, very well mapped at this point. Okay. Uh, you can get maps of the of the Warhammer world. There's even, I think, a website that is practically like the Google Maps of the Empire, where you can <laughs> scroll around and plot. Yeah, it is. It is well known. Well known for sure. And that's how okay. they built this table, right? Is that they're referencing all these. Okay. Uh, I think I feel like the the Warhammer community um, very much feels like stuff is canon quickly and tries to build on that, so that like you don't get a lot of contradictory information 
that they're trying to be consistent with each other. And so, oh, well, if you reference these maps, clearly Altdorf to Nuln is this far via road. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good. They're pretty like I, I mean, hypothetically, I guess I should have been able to guess that, but hypothetically, you could imagine a campaign world that is uh, described only in the abstract with a, with a travel time table like that and didn't actually have a, a, a matching map. But I certainly, I think I would be irritated if, if I yeah. encountered something like that yeah. myself. You know, I did, you know, away, sorry, yeah. sorry. I do want to bring one more example here. I know that I know that we're kind of far away from cities, but um, when I was running my uh, BX campaign, I had a very detailed hex map of the area my players were in. And then at some point I just took a blank, totally blank piece of printer paper and I hand drew a map as if I was like some terrible cartographer. And I said, well, I know this city's here and this town's roughly here and the scale is just garbage. Uh, but it gave them kind of like, here are the major points and how they're connected. And I handed that to them. They were like, we want a map of the area. I'm like, okay, here you go. It's right. not great. It is not a good map <laughs> intentionally, which I really enjoy. I was still tracking them on this very detailed hex map, but they had this like, well, right. I don't know. I mean, on this map, it looks like these two towns are a day apart. Oh, sorry, guys. That cartographer sucked. <laughs> I will say that, you know, for simplicity in my last campaign, I mean, the, the players had to go research in a go had to go to the, the main city, had to get access to the library, go hunting uh, for it. And then I actually just did hand them an actual hex map of the campaign area. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, kind of outdoor survival style. I don't mind, um, you know, I don't mind them planning on a hex map. I don't mind yeah. them actually interacting with the actual hex map that I'm running the rules with. So it feels, it kind of feels like we're playing the same game. You know, there are downsides to that it slightly breaks the immersion a little bit. Uh, but I will admit that I, I actually handed them the actual hex map last yeah. time. Yeah, I don't mind that either. I don't mind that either. In this in this yeah. case, that that hex map was far too detailed. It was multi-page, and I would like I just didn't have one nice thing to hand them and say, "Here it is." Um, but I don't know. I I mean, I think both are fun, right? And I could see applying that to cities as well. I think it's fun to say, "All right, here's a map of the city. Go nuts." Um, and I think it's also fun to say, "You've never been to the city. You have no idea where anything is. Welcome." You're overwhelmed. You're overstimulated as soon as you walk in. Right. Right. Nice. I want to say... Um, I wonder if I still have it here. The, the <clears throat> Shadows over Bogenhofen, in fact, comes with a very delightful map, uh, which I would absolutely encourage anyone running Shadows over Bogenhofen to give to their players. That looks like this. Nice. There it is. Looks pretty similar to what I was showing you before, right? Yep, yep, totally. Yep. Uh, it's even it's got uh, it's got a key on it for sure. Uh, nice. And one of the fun things about this is, and this is a topic I want to bring up, that bottom right section there, uh, that's the carnival that is going on in Bogenhofen during Shadows Over Bogenhofen, and that I think is that's kind of that happens a bunch honestly, in The Enemy Within, that you arrive at a big city, and not only is it a big city with a lot of character and interesting stuff, but also, guess what? There's a festival going on. So here's yeah. this extra layer on top of all this extra stuff happening, and extra people, yeah. and, you know, temporary st structures, and... Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, that's a, that's a halfway common trope, and I, I'm trying to think of what other D&D adventures have that same thing of get into a city and there's a festival going on as you get there. Yeah. Uh, I feel like at least one of the, I feel like one or two in the CM series did that, I think. I feel like that. 
could be misremembering. I think that's a super um, fun thing to to play, and you have to find. I think as DM, you have to find the balance between there's plot and there's something you know whatever something's going on whatever it is your players are trying to do in that city like there's an adventure happening but also sometimes give them a little leeway to just like go check out the festival right hey you guys want to see the freak show let's go look at the freak show because it's fun that's a fun moment of role play of oh, our characters are going to go we just want to see this thing. there's a wrestling match i want to check that out maybe i'll join in <laughs> of course yeah, of course yeah well, well, Paul. Maybe, maybe next week we should cover grappling. <laughs> yeah, we should. We should at some point cover grappling. <laughs> um, but now, before I get okay, so I should have mentioned this when we were talking chases. I should just mention one other possibility for a chase. Mm. When I, I played a game of Top Secret with uh, Merle Rasmussen, who is yeah. the original designer of Top Secret, and actually, there's a new version that he's just released uh, recently. I think top secret new world order so i believe this was a year ago i think at total con and i sat down with with merle rasmussen actually running the game the original administrator and he his scenario is set in a city and there's a, a briefcase trying to be handed off and we're trying to snatch it in the other direction and so his uh method for setting up a city chase situation is he just shows up at the table with giant bags of legos and he hands it he hands all the legos out to the players and the first hour of the game is you guys, please set up the city for me. However you like. Huh. Make huh. some buildings, make some roads. I don't care. Make a tower. It's all up to you. It's a creative building with Lego situation. And That's if there's amazing. six players, you get six quadrants of the city block. And we sit there building our various things. And then you have to go around. You have to describe what you build. That's so well, I made the you know museum section. And this has a you know ancient Babylonian museum. And what I, I built a statue out in front. And... You built, you know, something with a bunch of residences, and someone else built a, a garage. That's um, so and good. Then, I love. Yeah, this. that's pretty clever, and he does, <laughs> he does that a lot, and he gets pretty good reactions out of that. Now, that's a situation where you know the entire session is just going to be that, right? The entire the entire four hour session is just going to be on that plot of land, and I probably the first about this, hour. Though, in, in terms of in terms of the actual Legos, like, are you doing like mm-hmm. like each brick is a whole building, or are you building? Buildings out of bricks. Like, You're building buildings out of out of the bricks. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like does here it... I am going on, but I'm I demand a scale, and I I no I don't have a scale for this. So like does uh, it does he at least tell the players so that like I imagine this this like oh I built this one building and and it's you know huge and it's just one structure and you built like a bunch of tiny okay. houses and so, so he was okay so he was, you, you know you have single pixel right there are there, yeah. there are single pixel legos right so he was using the single pixel legos single pixel legos as one person yep right so single pixels maybe maybe you know one yep. wide and two high he was calling one person and a car would be a a two by three brick and you can fit you know six of the single pixel people in the car yep um and yeah. so a street was about eight pixels wide yeah yep. very very minecrafty there yeah yeah yeah. i gotcha i gotcha yeah yeah so yeah, he gave exactly. you that basic scale of here's here's right. how big things here's a, a baseline for you to build against that's good right exactly. <laughs> so, most of us, so we had you know we had a, a, a each of us had a foot wide square and more or less we were building a block right we were each building one of the six blocks basically and there was a an eight pixel road down through the middle where it connected that's great. Yeah, that's that sounds yeah, super cool. cool. I would love to see that actually. That's, that's I think on my blog I have photos. I mean, now we're talking a year and a half ago. Somewhere on my blog I have I have photos from from playing that game, which was pretty awesome. 
That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I think I crashed at least three cars <laughs> while, while, while I was playing that. And, you know, there was standard moment where like, oh, there's the bad guys in that car. I've got a car. I'm just going to head on collision and hope that the airbag saves me. And they were and we and someone's trying to uh, construct dynamite in the backseat at the same time. So there was a moment where, where Merle, as the administrator, was like, really? You're going to try to do that? And I'm like, yes, I'm going to try to do that. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> That is great. Oh, that's great. Oh man. Now before we okay, before we get out yeah, of the, the yeah. city, before we get out of the city situation, there's there's one other thing that's popped into my head while we're talking chases and encounters and like that. How do you adjudicate the issue of players in their full kit? Like what what armor, equipment, weapons do you allow them to go to the festival in? And also how do you handle things like you know, magic and spells? Is there, are there just spells being fired off in the city streets all the time, or is there some way of, of preventing those things? Um, you know, it, it, it certainly it depends on you know the tenor of your game and the 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 the, the, the specific city that you're in. Um, right. When I'm when I'm talking about Bogenhofen and um, you know, and we're um, you know we're playing a Warhammer inspired game, um, yeah, people are walking around in armor absolutely all the time. Though, of course. Someone in full plate is exceptionally rare in that game ever. Understood. Right. Understood. I, and again, yeah. uh, you know, Warhammer pushes the timeline a little more forward. It's a little more Renaissance than medieval. So okay. uh, they're firearms, right? So maybe that kind of armor is becoming less prevalent. Okay. Interesting. Um, Interesting. But sure, people are walking around in their full kit, no problem. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess it's I got a little bit of a Wild West kind of attitude. Yeah. Okay. I, I got to admit, I got, nowadays, I go in a, you know, having thought about it, I go in a very different direction, actually. So partly, it's like, I don't want a situation where, um, you know, you're getting in a fight with the City Watch or the Thieves Guild, and they're in leather armor with daggers, and you've got them totally outgunned because you're walking around in, in plate mail all the time, which, to my understanding, more or less kind of didn't happen with Freeman in the, the actual medieval times. Right. So having done a tiny little bit of research, the, my, my best understanding is if you did show up at a, at a city and you were a mercenary, you were expected to stash your weaponry with the innkeeper where you were staying and not generally walk around with it. So frankly, what I do in my, what I've, what I've done in my campaign recently is you just show up at the city gate and they demand that you store all that stuff in uh, the armory. And they give you a receipt for it, but I actually do not allow my players to walk in with to walk into a city with obvious armor or weapons. That's actually taken away from the city gate automatically. Um, so there, so at that point, you know, do they, and then and then of course the player says, "Can I hide a dagger in my boot?" Absolutely, of course you can hide a dagger in your boot, right? Yeah. And if you're wearing a if you're wearing a, a padded jack like leather armor, okay. That's, you can get away with that, but then at that point you're basically. Um, but you don't even let them. You don't even let them have a sword at their side. Don't even let them have. Correct. A, crazy. Nope. Okay. Wow. Nope. Taken away. Taken okay. away. Okay. Yeah, that's much more severe than I'm than I'm used to. Yeah. Uh, frankly, yeah. if I did that to my players, they would surely right. die from the many cultists and Skaven clans mm -hmm. and other horrific things that are actually just under the surface of any uh, of any city that they enter. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I, you know, I am taking it kind of a little bit in the um, the the original D and D, you know, sensibility that it's probably generally pretty safe, actually. So most yeah. of the time, you're not going to run into uh, in, in encounters in my cities. It's probably actually going to be uh, a, a, a safe base in general, um, and it's work it's worked out. Uh, it's worked out fairly well, and I just kind of like for me, I just kind of like the simplicity. It's just all taken away. Done. Yeah. We're not going to get into like individual items. Basically, the weapons armor taken away. With the, with the one exception of the major flaw that I ran into is I had players outside. They come into the city like a day goes by, and then we all realize that one of the players, one of the characters, is carrying a cursed sword that they can't let go of. And we were like, well, what happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what happened at that point? We actually, that's one of the only times in recent memory where we actually did rewind and played out the, I'm at the gate with a sword that I actually can't get rid of. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah. I could, I could see taking that line with certain, with yeah. certain locations again. I, I don't know. I would, I would definitely go much easier on the players on that. But also, it's unusual. I would, unusual. I would, I would, I would also then populate my city with people who are equally kitted out, right? Um, yeah, I feel like you know, I, I mean, maybe someday, Paul, we should do a uh, an episode just entirely on on thieves guilds. Mm. And so I feel like if if you know, why are why are thieves restricted to leather armor? Well. You know, when they pop up and you read the first edition books, thieves are kind of supposed to be restricted to cities, actually. Their bases have to be in cities. And, you know, thinking about the, the Lankmar tradition and things like that, my reading of that is, well, that's what they can get get away with hiding in a city and not be um, not be spotted easily. Mm -hmm. So granted that, I kind of assume, well, historically, people didn't walk around in kit like that. And... It would be a problem. It would be a security problem from the watch's perspective if they did, and I don't want them to entirely outgun the thieves. Mm -hmm. So, my overall solution that makes it a little, a little bit more realistic, kind of signals that it's supposed to be generally secure, but then puts it at the same level as the thieves, and they're not totally outgunning them. So, frankly, the thief skill is a major part of my my thought process on that. Interesting, interesting. Which, I mean, admittedly, done you a lot of people yeah, do that. Yeah. And and my my first reaction to that, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think through like why I find that so surprising, and I, I'm realizing, in my settings, if I'm going to build out a thieves guild, I do not assume that it's entirely populated by people of the thief class. I, I guess I feel like thieves as a class are separate from an organization like a thieves guild, and a thieves guild probably also hires fighters and magic users and all manner of people, anyone willing to do a little stealing. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. Um, yeah. It's not the top thing on my mind. Um, and so I don't, I'm pretty I guess sure I, that these guilds got some heavies in in plate, <laughs> ready to ready to lay the smackdown as needed. I'd like for me, I would think maybe in the headquarters, I wouldn't expect them to be like wandering around in the street uh, and just everybody ignores them. Yeah, I, would think oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to, you got to, you got to work towards your skill set, right? <laughs> so I feel like that's an interesting dilemma, right? Yeah. If the players are in the city and they don't have their equipment and they want to break into the, the the thieves guild headquarters and they actually do have contraband heavy weapons in there, I feel like now that's a really interesting 
unusual uh, encounter dilemma of like, we don't have our plate mail, but we are fighting people that do. Well, how do we get around that one? Interesting. Okay. Okay. So I kind of want that. Cool. <laughs> what well, we are segueing you know, are here some... into the into the yeah. thieves guild conversation, which is maybe right. a thing that we right. should we should talk about at some point. Probably so. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so, any um, any final thoughts on cities? That's one where I I might need to dig in more. I mean, I, I might need to dig in more that some of our viewers are more experienced with the with the different city systems than I am actually. Looking at original D and D, that's not a separate adventuring mode. There's yeah. dungeons and there's wilderness and maybe there's naval and there's aerial. And nowadays, we commonly think of maybe three main adventure modes: dungeon, wilderness, and cities. And um, I still kind of assume broadly that it's going to be a, a, a safe home base mostly, um, and. Leave it, leave it fairly sketchy unless there's some particular thing that pops up in the city. Yeah. So certainly not like you with Warhammer. I don't have ongoing scenarios all the time in the city everywhere. Well, that's, I mean, what I'm really coming to realize here is that I generally don't use cities very much in D&D. That like, mm-hmm. doesn't seem like appropriate to the genre or setting of D&D to me. That most of my experiences and opinions on city adventures are coming out of Warhammer or are coming out of uh, Call of Cthulhu or Savage Worlds or something that's 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 in a, a different setting than than mm-hmm. your standard D&D. Um, D&D in a city. Now, the, the one case I can think of is, again, the longer-running campaign form. When I'm in a longer-running campaign form, it seems more likely to come up that maybe randomly, because I never saw it coming... My players are going to discover a, a, a secret cabal of thieves who masquerade as the Silk Guild, and now I've got to make this whole crazy thing up. Uh, and we get a little weird kind of city encounter going. But it's generally not something I think that I intentionally author up front for my D&D games. Gotcha. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's where, where the, the game starts, of presuming that that's the, kind of the off-screen home base, and the city is more or less... Just the equipment list. What do you want to buy yeah. when you're back? When you're back at your home base. There's, you know, this morning actually. There's an interesting passage in the first edition player's handbook, actually. Um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if if anybody has the first edition player's handbook, you might look at the section that says establishing the character, and it basically says you've rolled up your character. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to walk through the city gates, and the very first thing you're going to have to do is probably deal with the city guard and explain why you are allowed to be there. And then uh, rent an inn or a room uh, and get your bearings, and then you'll go adventuring. And that's very much similar how, to how Keep on the Borderlands starts. Yeah, I was going to say, exactly that, that sounds right out of Keep on the Keep Borderlands. Borderlands, right? That exactly. Sounds, yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So on the one hand, it's, it, the, the claim there is the very first thing you're going to do is, is enter and deal with a city, but it more or less just says rent a room, get established, and then you can go adventuring. Yeah. Um, so it's not a, it's not a mode of adventure that is in classic D and D as a as a as an adventuring locale. Yeah. Um, but certainly today, I, I definitely agree with you, Paul. That the the format of give me a large level map, show me the districts, and then when I want to drill into one of those places and yeah. establish more detail there, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the way to go. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, folks, if you have any uh, comments or thoughts on City Adventures, please do leave them in the comments section of this video. Uh, also, if you have any thoughts or questions about any of the future topics we've teased here, uh, whether that be Thieves Guilds or uh, what was the other one we talked we mentioned there, Dan? Um, uh, grappling. Came, grappling. Grappling, Paul. Grappling. I know you want to do that. Let's have a, let's let's have a conversation. Let's talk for a whole hour about Anyway, Absolutely. if you have any, any thoughts on any of those topics, leave them in the comments, please. Uh, we always appreciate the inspiration for future shows. Definitely. And uh, if you're new to the show, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us on social media like YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs, all one word, on all of those sites. So please look for us there. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can do so at our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find us on the various podcast carriers, such as Google Podcasts or iTunes or Spotify. If you're listening to us on one of those carriers, uh, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other folks find our show. It definitely does. And as usual, big thanks to our growing list of patrons. Uh, we really appreciate your support so, so much. We could not do uh, this show or the other shows that we're currently doing without your help. If you would like to join our patrons in supporting Wandering DMs, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And um, uh, any amount of support that you can give, we very, very much appreciate. Uh, like I teased at the beginning of the show, Look for The Big Bad, episode four, this Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Again, this is Team Horde Takers featuring Stefan Picorni of Dwarven Forge, Luke Gygax, Elisa Teague, and friends. And uh, one, of our, one of our favorite episodes, just like all the other ones, but one of our favorite episodes. So we definitely hope that you'll tune in Tuesday at, at 8 Eastern time to watch episode four, The Big Bad. And wow, what a great, what a great episode that is, Paul. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, patrons, uh, remember that after this show airs that we will be popping over to our patron-only Discord to uh, chat a little bit more about the stuff that came up in the show or whatever's on folks' minds. So if you are a patron or you're thinking about becoming one, uh, do so now. And uh, immediately after this show, we'll pop on over to the Discord and uh, keep chatting. And if you feel that you need to correct me or educate me better personally about uh, any city-based adventures, that's a really good opportunity to do that. So I'll be looking forward to probably additional information. I'm going to, in about 30 minutes, I'm going to be much more educated than I currently am. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And as usual, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope that you will come back and join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.